reading from the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus said to the twelve disciples, A disciple is not above the teacher, nor a slave above the master. It is enough for the disciple to be like the teacher, and the slave like the master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? So have no fear of them. For nothing is covered up that will not be uncovered, and nothing is secret that will not become known. What I say to you in the dark, tell in the light. And what you hear whispered, proclaim from the housetops. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. And even the hairs of your head are all counted, so do not be afraid. You are of more value than many sparrows. Everyone, therefore, who acknowledges me before others, I also will acknowledge before my father in heaven. But whoever denies me before others, I also will deny before my father in heaven. Don't think I've come to bring only peace to the earth. I've not come to bring peace but a sword. I've come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And one's foes will be members of one's own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up the cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Those who find their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake will find it. In the name of our loving, liberating, and life-giving God, amen. Please be seated. She was tiny, but she carried a big cane, and she was not afraid to use it, to poke or pummel her priest. And anyone else who got in her way, her name was Lynette Logan. Not long after I arrived at St. James Church in Austin, many years ago, as a young, innocent, naive, enthusiastic, God loves everybody, and so do I kind of priest. <laughs> One Sunday morning, Susan Brown came up to me and asked if I had yet met Lynette Logan. I said, I don't think I have met her, Susan. She goes, oh, you'll know it when you meet her. <laughs> there will not be any doubt in your mind that you have encountered her, and maybe you'll be lucky and she'll get mad at you and leave before you encounter and have to endure her many offenses. Well, I was surprised. But our first encounters were quite cordial. I went out of my way to connect, just to let her know that I cared about her despite her reputation. But then we announced this capital campaign at our church to finally take care of about 15 years of deferred maintenance, including a roof that leaked so badly the altar literally got rained on during downpours. And while we were at it, we were going to add some classroom space for our kids and improve our nursery and even run a sidewalk way out to the field out back where most of our 
rapidly growing congregation at the park on Sunday mornings. Lynette did not like it. She was single-minded in her vision, and she came up to me one Sunday morning, cane in hand, and it was not supporting her. It was in my face. And she said, I want you to put covered parking nearby. And I want you to put a covered walkway from the covered parking all the way to the front door of the church because sometimes it rains here and I don't want to get wet. Well, I knew that what Lynette was suggesting was for the benefit of one. And I also knew that it was a terrible idea. Still, I ran it past our project architect who was helping us out for a significant discount. And I told him, and he said, and I quote, that's a terrible idea. <laughs> In fact, it is architecturally impossible. So to tamper her potential anger, I simply began to schedule routine weekly pastoral visits with Lynette at her home. And what do you know? After a while, we began to trust enough to share our stories with each other. And when she shared her story with me, it turned out to be a pretty painful one, and it actually helped me understand why Lynette wanted more than anything else to be protected from the storm, because as it turned out, her whole life had been stormy. Abandoned by her parents, jilted by the only man with whom she thought she had a chance for love. Financial struggles, health problems, rejected by her former church family way back in the 1960s because she spoke out on civil rights. Lynette felt rained upon. She felt all wet from the downpour of derision most of her life, so keeping herself warm and dry and safe and cozy and loved was more than just a metaphor for her. She had survived so many storms, so many thunderbursts of despair that she didn't think she could take anymore, literally or figuratively. Now I knew that Lynette had begun to experience some sort of healing and safety and acceptance when she came up to me one Sunday morning without her cane. <laughs> and she said, I heard the covered walkway is not part of the final plan, but I want you to know I'm going to do what I can to help anyway. And I knew especially when one day, right after communion in her home, she said, now you, you just sit right there and don't move. Wait there. I want to share something with you. It is something personal, and I have never shared it with anyone before. And I have to tell you, I was a bit scared. <laughs> she came back into the living room with a tenderly unfolded sheet of paper. And she told me that even though she had never had children and she desperately wanted children, there was this one little boy with Down syndrome that she had befriended and cared for many years ago. In fact, he had become like her son. He was so special to her, and they, had, they would make play dates in the park, and she held 
those memories so close that she had been moved to write a poem about it, and she wanted to read that poem to me, and holding back her own tears, this is what she read. There was a child once, greatly loved, who had come running with arms flung wide, star-eyed, laughing, to where I stood waiting and fling himself into my open arms with such a collision of love, such a collision of love. So would I go when calls my Lord, laughing with joy to run into his arms. A collision of love. In this life, it's in the collisions, in the challenges, in the heartaches, in the wrecks that we have made and somehow survived that we can discover most deeply that God's love will not abandon, forsake, or give up on us. It is in the accidents, the tragedies, the tornadoes, the floods, when we want simply to rage and rant and grab the nearest protective device that can be wielded as a weapon and lash out, or maybe just sit down and give up and close our eyes and sink into futility. It is in those places where we might find a faith in a God who sees and hears and knows and cares. That is exactly what Hagar experienced in the reading that Beverly read so beautifully to us. She thought that she would catch a break, but everything fell apart. Everything. She found herself with her only son completely abandoned, unloved, sentenced to a certain death in a wilderness that nobody could survive. And I suppose some people probably said behind her back, well, you know she had it coming. After all, when she conceived Abraham's first son, Ishmael, and Sarah's dream of getting pregnant was still just a dream, if not an impossibility, she, Hagar, had, quote, looked with contempt on her mistress. Never a good idea to look with contempt on anybody. And then a miracle happened, and Sarah, despite the odds in her old age, became pregnant and gave birth to Isaac. And today we read that when Isaac was weaned, why? Because he had survived enough years in a time when many children did not live to that stage in life. And so Abraham believed, hey, this child is going to live. He's going to make it. Let's have a party. Let's celebrate. And then Sarah saw Ishmael playing with her son Isaac, and she raged with anger. And she told her husband Abraham to cast her out and her no good son. I don't know what motivated Sarah, but I can tell you it wasn't pure. What a horrible position Abraham was in because God had told him that Hagar and Ishmael would not only survive, but God would also make a great nation of Ishmael also, reminding us yet again that God's choices are broad and inclusive, not limited or exclusive. But Hagar had no idea. All Hagar knew is that she had enough water and bread for about a day, and when it ran out, she could not bear to watch her only son, her beloved son, die. 
And so she placed him under a bush and she walked far enough away that she would not have to hear his cries. And she closed her eyes and began to break down and weep. Suddenly an angel appeared. And he tells Hagar what God, what the angels, what Jesus tells us over and over again so many times that you'd think we'd start to believe it. Do not be afraid. Do not fear. Whatever your predicament, whatever your desperation, whatever your storm, God is not so far away, even in your dire state of despair, that he cannot see and hear and care. That angel told her that God had heard Ishmael's cry. Ishmael which means God hears. So open your eyes, Hagar, and look up. And when she did, she saw that just before her was a well of water that could sustain her life and that of her son. It was there all along. You just have to look up. The way out, the way through, the way to survive and thrive in whatever storm or wilderness or desert or desperate situation we find ourselves in is there. God has and will make a way today. Half the inhabitants of the Middle East claim Ishmael as their father. That baby. So the psalmist, the original spiritual blues singer, moves over to bluegrass. When he sings, in the time of my trouble, I will call upon you and you will answer me. For great is your love toward all who call upon your name. It might feel like a collision, but it will eventually set us free. And set us on our way back toward healing. So many centuries later, but many centuries ago, there was another young woman. She lived in Rome. Her parents named her Cecilia. At a very early age, as a young girl, she had an ex a profound experience with God and had even spoken with an angel, she said. And she was so enthralled with this experience and with her Lord, she told her parents, she was taking a vow of virginity. She wanted simply to offer her life in service to God. Her parents disagreed. They thought that was a bad idea, and they literally forced her to marry a pagan nobleman whose name was Valerian. At her wedding, while everyone else was singing, Here Comes the Bride, she was singing, Oh, no, she does not. <laughs> In fact, the story goes that in her heart of hearts, in that deepest place within herself, she was singing a different song, a hymn of praise to her true love, the one to whom she had committed and entrusted her life. She was a bride of Christ. Well, the plot thickens and another angel appears and somehow convinces Valerian, the skeptic, that this woman he thinks he married is already taken. And her song will always be for her first and only beloved. And what do you know? Valerian believes 
He becomes a Christian. He becomes a follower of Jesus. And he gets baptized. And both of them eventually give their lives because of their commitment to the greatest lover of all. Because she sang her song in the midst of the chaos and storm. She trusted when nothing was going her way because the composition of her life was entrusted to the true source of inspiration. She still inspires all those who have a song in their hearts even a song not yet sung, a song that has been squelched or silenced. Cecilia is an inspiration for the creative spirit in all of us, but especially women, to sing their song. That one unique melody and lyric given to each by her creator, her lover, One of those inspired women, centuries later, expressed this beautiful truth in a song titled, The Living Prayer. And sometimes when you hear her sing, it is so sweet you could swear it's the voice of an angel. She sings, in this world I walk alone with no place to call my home, but there's one who holds my hand on the rugged road through the barren land. The way is dark, the road is steep, but he has become my eyes to see, my strength to climb, my grief to bear. The Savior lives inside me there. In your love, I find release, a haven from my unbelief. So take let me be a living prayer by God to thee. Say. 